North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. But I am pumped to be with you guys this morning. It is good to be back. It's, it's been a while since I've been up here, so I feel a little rusty, and I'm like, man, I just, I'm just ready to preach it. I'm ready to bring it. So I hope you're ready to receive it, because I, I think God's got an awesome word for us today. It's been just an incredible week, a week of prayer, a week of fasting, a week of uh, even fasting for a purpose of saying, God, show us the sin in our lives, and we want to repent from that, turn from that, and run to you. And Pastor Chris challenged us last week to give up three days to, to pray and to fast. And so three days of water only. Any three days you wanted. And how many of y'all, anybody in here do the fast last week or maybe a day or they tried that out? I don't know if you noticed this, but you just go one day without food and your mind starts playing tricks on you. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I just go one day, I think, I can do anything for one day, but I go one day without food and I'm daydreaming of chicken wings and onion rings and barbecue and I, it seems, I don't know if this is true, but it seems like there's 10 times the amount of pizza commercials. You know, you're sitting there watching and there's the, the cheese that stretches for three feet and the stuffed crust. And me and my wife at one point just looked at each other like, we should go get some of that right now. <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's a hard thing to give up what sustains us for who sustains us, which is what Pastor Chris preached about last week in a phenomenal, phenomenal message. But through it, we experience breakthroughs we otherwise would never get to experience in our lives. In fact, I want to share one of those breakthroughs with you from someone in the church. They posted on Facebook about uh, how the fast was just really affecting them spiritually. And they said, it's been over 10 years since on my own I've opened the Bible and just read God's word. And <clears throat> here's what they said. They said, we, so for the first time in about 10 years, I opened God's word and it spoke to me. And I just want to read the last part of that post. Here's what it says. It says, I never really understood the Bible, but once you open your heart to God, he will guide you. I've never felt closer to God in my whole life than I do now. It's such spiritual growth that now during my fasting, I really enjoy reading and I will continue to do it after this. Is that good stuff or what? That is a breakthrough right there. Someone getting into God's word, standing on God's word. I'm like, man, God, just, just go on and move in this place. Move in our people. It's just incredible to see. Um, but many times, doing hard things gets results in our lives that we would otherwise never see. We'd otherwise never, never see. And I think even many times, the hard thing and the right thing are the same thing. <laughs> the hard thing and the right thing are the same thing. But in God's word, as you look at it, Jesus never lowers the bar. Have you noticed that? He never comes in and just kind of lowers the standard, but every time he comes on the scene, he bumps it up a few notches. You know, Jesus didn't show up and say, listen guys, if everyone else is mad and angry, then it's not gonna be counted against you, man, just go ahead, I, I understand. He doesn't say that, he says, no, you know what, if you're angry at your brother and you say something bad about him, you're guilty of murder. <laughs> like, whoa. Jesus, you're bumping the bar up a little bit. He doesn't come along and say, you know what, guys, uh, any man who uh, thinks lustfully of a woman in her heart is just normal. It's just normal. It's just natural. It's hormones, so don't worry about it. He doesn't say that. He says, no, in fact, uh, just thinking about a woman lustfully in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. It's like, wow, Jesus, that is a hard thing. Like, you are raising the bar over and over again all throughout Scripture. That's what it does. It raises the bar. Things like being angry is easy. Being self-controlled is hard. Having pride is easy. Being humble is hard. Hating your enemy is easy. Loving your enemy, that is hard. Holding a grudge is easy. 
Forgiveness is hard. Eating that extra donut you know you shouldn't have, easy. Working that donut off, hard. You know what I mean? And I would know because my wife tells me. <laughs> she tells me, I'm reaching for that donut. RJ, did you know that it's, you're going to have to jog for 30 minutes just to run that donut off? I'm like, no, Kayla. I did not know that, nor did I want to know that. Nobody on the world eating a donut right now wants to know that. Why are you telling me that, you know? And she's like, well, I just, I just hope it's worth it, <laughs> you know, putting the guilt on me. And I'm like, ah, yes, it is, while I shove it down my face, you know. And uh, it's hard. It's hard. And partly it's my own fault because I ask her to help me make better eating choices. But when she does, I get upset and defensive because that is a hard thing. It's a hard thing. But many times a hard thing and the right thing are the same thing, the same thing. So Christ today, I believe he's challenging some of us to rise up to rise up and go, to rise up to the challenge. Uh, it's like when I was a kid, me and my friends, when, when we were in elementary school, uh, we used to play uh, like basketball on a six-foot goal. And we would pretend like we were Vince Carter through our legs, 360s. But at some point, we got to bump that, that level up a little bit. You know, At some point, we got to learn to play on a 10-foot goal. Otherwise, we'll never grow. We'll never improve. Man, we could be Vince Carter all day long on the six-foot goal. But you move it up a little bit, man, that's where growth starts happening. I think in life, many times it's the same way. Life is always a slam dunk when you play on low goals. So I think today God is coming into our lives. The Holy Spirit's gonna challenge us. Hey, let's just bump it up a little bit. Let's just bump it up. Some of us, we think we're killing it because we showed up at church and God is gonna just bump it up a little bit and say, you know what? Let's try this holiness thing out just a little bit. Uh, he's raising, <clears throat> rising, raising the bar just a little bit, taking us to some new places. And uh, I just want to get into our theme and what we're talking about today by sharing a little bit of my story and my time. And I've shared a little bit of this in the past before, um, so I'm just going to hit it briefly. But when I was in high school, I felt like one of the biggest things God wanted me to do was to rise up and go reach my friends. Reach my friends for Jesus. And, like, it was hard. And when God asks you to go and do something like that, like, we make excuses, Right, And I remember all the excuses I had, like, God, no one else will listen to me. No one will ever go to church. Like, I'm the only one doing this, and, and they're just going to make fun of me if I do that. And I, I'm making excuses, and I remember God challenging me uh, specifically to pray with my basketball team before games. And there were mo moments and opportunities that opened doors, wide open doors. And I was like, this is the moment. I should do it right now. Man, everyone would respond right now. And I let them slide right past me. And I would justify it saying things like, well, God, I, I just don't know if they would listen to me because their pregame music, their pregame song was a song called Because I Got High. <laughs> you know, how are these guys going to listen to someone like me saying, all right, guys, let's pray. And so I justified it. Even though I knew God was telling me to go, I said no. I said no. Many of us were in this place, and God has challenged us and asked us to do something in our lives. And we, instead of saying, all right, God, I'll go, we've said, no, you know what, God, not this time. Not this time. And today, that's what I want to talk to you about. There was a man in the Bible who God was telling to go, and he said no. See, many times going and reaching people for Christ is one of the hardest things we could ever do. It's one of the hardest. In fact, it's so hard that this guy who God was telling to go and reach people, he said, no, I'm not only am I not going to do it, but I'm going to go the exact opposite direction as far away from these people as I possibly can get. <clears throat> and the man's name was Jonah. Jonah, many of you know the story of Jonah, but we're going to look at the book of Jonah today and a very clear, hard thing that I want to take away from this story uh, as we conclude. But here it is, Jonah 1, 
starting in verse 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go. So here he is saying, Rise up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness had come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God said, Go, and Jonah said, No. In fact, not only am I not going to go to Nineveh, not only am I not going to go reach those people, I'm going to flee the exact opposite direction and get as far away as I can from it. Tarshish was, in that time, in history, of it was the farthest point of the known world from Nineveh. It would take him over a year just to get there. And so this running from God wasn't just, okay, yeah, I'm just going to run one day. This was like, I'm committing my life. I am going the exact opposite direction. I do not want to go to Nineveh. And can I tell you today, church, that you will never fulfill your God-given purpose if you keep running from the hard things God has called you to do. You'll never fulfill your God-given purpose if you keep running from some of these hard things God is calling you to do. And God was calling Jonah to reach Nineveh. And I think today he wants to challenge us with the same hard thing in our lives, in your life, wherever you're at, to reach your Nineveh. Reach your Nineveh. And that's the title today, is Reach Your Nineveh, because each of us has a Nineveh around us. Each of us have people in our lives that we can influence that are far from God at the moment. And so <clears throat> before we go too far, I just want to share with you what the people of Nineveh were like. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians. And if you know anything about the Assyrians in history, is these guys were bad to the bone. <laughs> they were as bad as they come. They were known for their worldwide intimidations their cruel punishments. They were famous for impaling people on poles like the long way through their bodies and skinning people alive. And they didn't respect age or gender or anything. They would just wipe out families, babies, entire nations, completely annihilate them. When you showed up to their city, there would be thousands and thousands of skulls stacked up as you're walking into uh, this area of Nineveh to let people know you don't mess with the Assyrians. When you show up at the city gate, finally you've walked past all these skulls piled high. And the carvings on their wall was carvings of people being tortured. Now listen, if I show up at your house and I see anything besides a welcome mat, <laughs> I am turning the other way. You know, if I see a beware of dog sign, I'm going to my car and I'm giving you a call. You know what I mean? And nonetheless, like these pictures of cruel punishments and torture, but these were the Assyrians. You knew you do not mess with the Assyrians. Scholars say they were like the Nazis of that time in history, the worst of the worst. And this, these are the people that God says to Jonah, I want you to go and reach these people. They were one of Israel's worst enemy. In fact, Jonah, just for going and trying to reach these people, could have been seen as a traitor. He, he, his friends would have rejected him. No one would understand why you're going to do something like this. In fact, when he returned, his friends could put him to death by stoning him just for going to the Assyrians. But this is who God told Jonah to reach. And I think something inside of Jonah, when he heard that God wanted him to go and reach someone like that, you want me to go and reach them? I think there was something inside of Jonah that said, I would rather them get destroyed than have something good happen to their lives. I would rather them get annihilated off the face of the planet, man, and that threat is just completely eliminated than them turn to you, God. And so he ran. He ran. And I think there's some truth in that because some of us even right now can think of some names of some people in our lives that we would rather see bad things happen than good. 
names of people that we wouldn't want to see them get acknowledged or promoted, but rather we would rather see them get what's coming to them, see them get what they deserve. And aren't you glad that we didn't always get what we deserved when it came to Christ? And we didn't get what we deserved. And so uh, I think it's funny, though, that in this story of Jonah, it's kind of ironic that God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. They're wicked. Tell them to turn back to me. And Jonah is like, nope, I'm going to run from you. And so uh, his message is basically to repent and turn to God. Yet Jonah, when he ran from God, he was guilty of the exact same thing as Nineveh. He was guilty of the exact same thing. He needed to, to turn to God just like the people of Nineveh needed to repent and turn to God. So as we look at the story of Jonah, many times it's easy for us to put ourselves in, in the, the place of Jonah, right? Like, okay, God has called us, like Jonah, to go out and reach our world. But we can't miss the fact that like Jonah, there's a little Nineveh inside all of us. There's some sin. There's some things. Uh, we're, we're all guilty of sin and need to turn to God. So who's our Nineveh today? Well, if Nineveh was Jonah's last group of people he ever wanted to reach, I wonder if we have some Ninevehs in our life too. Some people that are far from God. Some, maybe they're people that we like and they're people that we don't like. They're people that we have the potential to influence for good. That's our Nineveh. That's who God has chosen and called us to go and reach. Maybe it's the person who talks bad about you. Maybe it's the person who purposely does things at work to drive you crazy. Maybe it's the person uh, that, that you have nothing in common with, 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 or they stole from you, or cheated you, or lied to you, or hurt you. Um, and isn't it crazy to just think that God has a plan for them too? God has a plan for them too. Uh, and maybe that plan involves you. I wonder if today that plan involves you and me and us being the church. And I want to say one balanced statement um, when I'm talking about reaching your Nineveh and reaching people far from God is be smart about it. I'm not telling you to go and like rekindle old friendships that drug you down and made you worse of a person or rekindle an old bad relationship that you know you shouldn't be in anyway. No, be smart about it. God has always calls us to rise up, never to go down. And so today, that, that's my one balancing statement I just wanted to make. Um, but, but this is what Jesus, God calls us to do, to love people who many times are unlike, unlike us, nothing in common with us. They're different than us. And that is a really hard Thing. But you know who was really good at it? Jesus. And Jesus was so awesome. Here, here's what Jesus did. Mark 2, 16 and 17 is one example. It says, when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, check out this question they asked him, why does he eat with such scum? <laughs> Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. This is who Jesus showed up for. You see who was welcome with Jesus? The outsiders. The outsiders. In fact, a crazy thing to me is that Jesus, hours before he would be betrayed, kneeled down and washed the feet of the man who just later that night would betray him to be crucified. Like, wow, how could you do that hard thing, Jesus, knowing what he was going to do just a little bit later? But the church, and by the church I don't mean the building, but us as the church. We are the church. We're, we're the people. We are the church. We don't just exist for people who already love and know Christ. Some of you, you might be here today, and you relate more to, to Nineveh than Jonah because you're like, man, I am far from God, and I don't have a relationship with God. I probably need to turn to God. And I want you to know we love having you here. 
Thank you for being here. We know that God loves you. We know God has a plan for you. And so this is a place where you belong, even if you're a little more like Nineveh than maybe like Jonah. But we exist for the people sitting across from us at work, cussing every other word. We exist for the the family member that, that causes arguments every time you get together at holidays. We exist for the atheist students in our college classes. Uh, We exist for the family next door that seems to always argue a little bit too loud. We exist for people struggling to get over their sin. But the life of Jesus shows us over and over and over again that it's never about us. And one of the hardest things that God calls us to do that we could ever do is to not turn inward. As Christians, as people naturally, our natural lean, our natural tendency, if we don't adjust it, is to always look inward. So always look at me and get selfish and be comfortable with my bubble and my group and my people. And it's always to turn inward where Christ comes and he says, no, 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 you got to fight that. It's not about me. It's about others. I wonder if even that's the reason why Jesus says the key to greatness in my kingdom is serving, being a servant to all. is service. It's serving others. Because you got to realize if you want to be great in my kingdom, it's not just about you. It's about other people too. I recently read a story about a father who took his 13-year-old boy to a, a London saloon. And this was many, many years ago. And he took him to this London saloon, and, and this boy later recounts the story and says when he walks in, there was people swearing, people that were, were drunk and, and belligerent, and it reeked like smoke. And his father sat him down. And in a lesson that he would never forget, his father said, Son, son, these are our people. These are the people that I want you to live for. And that boy said that that that, that message never left him the rest of his life. And that boy would would later grow up to found the Salvation Army, which today is is impacting millions of people every week, even today. And there's another story years down the road, like even years down, at the end of his life, he didn't turn inward. At the end of his life, there was a big conference he was scheduled to speak at, but he wasn't able to make it due to illness. And so what he did is he sent a one-word sermon. He telegraphed one word to this conference. This one-word sermon that he wanted other people to know was simply this. Others. Others. It's not about us. Others. So here, God is, we get a little glimpse of God's heart in the book of Jonah. A little glimpse of God's heart that he wants to reach people far from God. If people far from God matter to God, they should matter to us too. And I can tell you, take it further, if Nineveh mattered to God, then Hastings matters to God. Your family member matters to God. Your friend matters to God. They matter. They matter and they should matter to us as well. So here, God tells Jonah, rise up and go. And it's interesting to me that when Jonah ran from God, he went nowhere but down. Check this out. In verse 3, Jonah arose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Two verses later, verse 5. Uh, so he's fleeing from God. The ship comes up on a huge, huge storm. Everybody's scared. So this, this crazy storm happens, and Jonah's down there sleeping, right? The mariners were afraid. Then every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. 
And many of us know the story that they, they wake up Jonah, and they're like, everyone call on their God. we got to find out what's, who's causing, who's responsible for this storm. And Jonah is like, yeah, you know what, it's me. After they draw straws, yeah, it's me. If you throw me over the, overboard, the storm will stop completely. I'm running from God. And so the men reluctantly throw him over the boat down into the sea. Where we know the story, a great fish comes that was appointed by God, comes and swallows him up, and he ends up down in the belly of this great fish. I just think it's interesting to note that when he runs from God, he doesn't go anywhere but down. Doesn't go anywhere but down. Yet God called him, the very first words, Jonah, rise up and go. See, God is calling him to rise up, yet he ends up going down. Today, I think God is calling some of us to rise up as well. But I, can, I'm, I, I gotta warn you, going down is a whole lot easier than going up, <laughs> right? <clears throat> runners, any runners in the house? You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever ran up a hill, it's the worst. But you run down a hill and you're like, oh, this is easy. I, got, I can do this all day long. Like you're singing, I got sunshine. <laughs> it feels good. But then you start running up the hill and it is just horrible. It's a whole lot easier going down. And I also think it's interesting to note how easy it was for Jonah to find a boat going to Tarshish. <laughs> it's easy. There's always a boat going to Tarshish. There's always a boat going away from God's plan. It's easy. It's easy to get on it. <clears throat> but going up the hill, God is calling some of us to rise up and go. Another thing, observation that I want to make that I think is just awesome about this story is that this great storm comes when Jonah's on this boat and this great fish comes and swallows up Jonah. And many of us kind of know the story that he has an encounter with God in the belly of this whale. But here's what God does. Here's what God can do for some of us as well. God can use a storm to get your life back on track. I'm like, man, I love this about God. He can use a storm, a messy, ugly situation. Some of us, we're facing a storm in our life right now because we chose to do things our way instead of God's way. But God, in his goodness and in his grace, comes along and says, listen, that storm that you're going through, I'm gonna use that storm to put you back on the path I have for you. So after three days, <clears throat> excuse me, after three days in the belly of this great fish, Jonah finally kind of turns back to the Lord, right? He finally has this, this come to his senses moment. If it's me, if I'm in the belly of that, that great fish for three seconds, I'm like praying to God. You know what I mean? Lord, help me. Get me out of here. It's horrible. Save me. I'll do anything. Jonah, it took him three days. It says then after three days, Jonah prayed. And finally, three days later, uh, he kind of has his come back to the Lord moment. Uh, he, he repents. He has to do what he's calling Nineveh to do. Say, God, listen, I'm turning back to you. I'm sorry. And when he has kind of this come back to the Lord moment, in uh, chapter two, verse 10, the last verse in the chapter says, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And let's continue the story in chapter three, uh, verse one through three. It says, so now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying this, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach, preach to it the message that I have to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And I just want you to look at verse 1 again. Put chapter 3, verse 1 up there one more time. I want you to check this out. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Some of us, we, might, we need to know that our God is the God of a second chance. He's the God of a second chance. The word of the Lord came again. And some of you, you've been running. You've been doing things your own way. You may need to hold on to the promise that the word of the Lord is going to come to you again. And it's up to you to do it what you want to do with it. 
First time he ran, God said go, and he said no. This time, God said go, and so he arose and went to Nineveh. He followed the word of the Lord. And so let's just continue it in 3, verses 5. So the people of Nineveh believed in God. So Jonah walks into Nineveh. He says, listen, you guys got 40 days or this place is going to be destroyed. You better turn to God over the next 40 days or else God is just going to annihilate everybody. And so the people of Nineveh, this is how they respond in verse 5. They believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And I'm going to skip down to verse 7, the end part of verse 7 through 9. The king himself, the top leader of the entire nation of, of, of Nineveh and the Assyrians there, he puts out a decree and he says this, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. That's a hard fast right there. To not eat or drink water, that's intense. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry out mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God can turn and relent and will turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And I love in verse 8, it says, let everyone turn from his evil way. See, the, the nation of Nineveh called a fast. And it just so happens, coincidentally, that this past week, Pastor Chris and our church called a fast for the exact same thing that Nineveh had to fast for, for sin. And we're sinful, we're, we're wicked, we're selfishness, we're selfish. And so Lord, help us to turn from that and turn towards you. And I just think it's cool how God works. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, wow. Even the nation of Nineveh uh, turned, fasted and turned to God. And guess what happened? You guys probably know the story. You, you know how it goes. They all fasted. They all did it. They all turned to the Lord. Fasting moves the hand of God in a way that, that maybe uh, we could never see otherwise. And so in verse 10, here's what it says. Then God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. So one prophet, get this, I just want you to see this story. One prophet walks into a city of 120,000. Scholars say it was probably closer to a million people with the, the way they, they did census and, and things back then. Uh, so one man walks in into this great city. The entire nation turns from their sin and comes to God. I'm just like, wow, this is Incredible. In fact, uh, historians tell us this is the single greatest revival in history. It's like, yes, awesome. They all turn to God. God is so good. This is incredible. One man walks in and, man, everybody turns to God. Wow, God, you are so awesome. You're so good. You got a plan for Nineveh. So we know you got a plan for our city. And we think, wow, this is incredible. Jonah is the man. And then comes chapter four. Chapter four kind of changes everything on how we view. Jonah. If Jonah would have ended after chapter 3 right there, saying, yeah, God, you know what, I'll go, and he goes, and the entire nation turns, back. like he would have a strong case for one of the greatest prophets to ever walk the earth. But there's a chapter 4. There's another chapter. One thing I know, looking at the Bible, whether things are going good or bad, there's always another chapter. Whether you win an entire city to Christ, there's another chapter that could be not so good. Or whether it's been the worst three months of your life, there could be another chapter where God turns things around. <laughs> but there's another chapter. And there's this moment where God comes into the scene. And God kind of checks Jonah's heart. He checks his motives. 
He, he, he challenges why Jonah is doing what he's doing. Not, not necessarily what he's doing, but why he's doing what he's doing. And as we close, these are, these are the words that I want you to remember. This is the challenge that, that, that I want you to remember today. Verse 4, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He was angry that the people turned to God. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran to Tarshish. (laughs) So get this. He wasn't afraid of the Assyrians. He wasn't afraid of being rejected by his people. He wasn't afraid of dying. He was afraid that God and his grace and mercy would actually save them when he would rather see them wiped out. I think it's crazy. And he said, goes on to say this, I know that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Seems kind of like an overreaction, right? Like, really? Kill me now? Like, it's like when you talk to your kid and you're like, yeah, you know what, here's half of a granola bar. And they break down crying because I want a whole granola bar and it's broken. Like, really? It's an overreaction. But Jonah here, he almost seems like a pouting kid, like, Lord, kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if you don't destroy these people. And so then comes the Lord in verse 4, and he asks this question, simply this question, is it right for you to be angry? And I think that's a God question. Some of us, were angry at some people, we're angry at some things, we're angry at what's going on, we're angry at uh, whatever, and I think that God is maybe asking us, is it right for us to be angry? So here's what Jonah does. He goes outside of the city by himself. The city had just turned to God. This amazing, unbelievable revival. He goes out to the city by himself just to see what happens. And when I, this plays out in my mind, I see him kind of going outside of the walls and finding a hill where he can kind of go and rest up on and like hoping that he sees fire and brimstone come from heaven and the place just be destroyed. Um, and so while he's out there, God sends a little plant that sprouts up, and this plant sprouts up beside him, and it says it, it gives him shade. In fact, the word it says, it says, delivered him from his misery, is how, how the Bible puts it. And Jonah was grateful, and Jonah loved this plant. He was grateful for it. But then the next morning, when Jonah woke up, the Lord had sent a worm to get into the plant, to eat the plant, and to destroy it. And so the, this plant that he loved, this plant that he was grateful for, had withered and died. The sun comes out. He gets a little windy, The sun starts scorching his head a little bit. And here's what happens in verse 8, the end part of verse 8 and verse 9. It says, The sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, so here he comes again. Remember, he's the God of the second chance. So he asked Jonah again a second time, almost like, Jonah, you got a second chance to answer this question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. That's the last we hear about Jonah. There's only two more verses in the entire book of Jonah, but these last two verses give us us an awesome glimpse of the heart of God for you, an awesome glimpse of the heart of God for people that are far from God. And also a little glimpse into the selfishness of of our lives, uh, like Jonah's heart as well. These last two verses are kind of God's drop the mic moment and exit the stage. (laughs) Like these last two verses, he shares them, boom, the book ends. We don't get any more details and we're left hanging kind of like, well, what happened to Jonah? 
maybe someday in heaven we'll sit down with him and find out. You know, I don't know. But this is how the book ends. It says in verse 10 and 11, Then the Lord said, said, Jonah, you feel sorry about the plan, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Excuse me, here's what it comes down to at the end is Jonah had a perspective problem. This plant came up, gave him some shade. It was awesome. He loved it. And he was so concerned with the plant, so caught up in the plant right in front of his face that he missed out on the hundreds of thousands of people that were going to die and spend an eternity apart from God. See, his problem right in front of him was greater than the people behind him that so desperately, so obviously needed God in their lives. I think many times we, it's easy for us to do the same thing as well. For us to get so caught up on the problems or plants in front of our face that we miss the people behind it. Are, are we looking, when we see things, are we seeing problems or are we seeing people? We can't get so caught up on the problems that are so glaring in front of us in the world and in people around us that we miss the fact that they're a person that God wants to reach. So when we look, do you see a person or do you see a problem? Jonah, he was so caught up on this plant. He was throwing a fit and throwing an argument about the plant that sprouted in a day and died in a day and didn't give a second thought to the hundreds of thousands of people that we're far from God. Yet God's heart is always focused on the people. And God redirects him and says, listen, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're angry about this problem and about this plant. Shouldn't I care for the people? What about the people? You're, stop looking at the plant. Look past the problem. Look past the plant and see this city that desperately needs me. That otherwise, they're going to be destroyed. It's easy to look around and see problems but it's hard to look and truly see people. See them the way God wants to see them. It's hard because people are different than us. When I, we used to live in Bridgeport, uh, on the western end of the state of Nebraska, my, my mom became really close friends with this lady named Kathy. And I was a kid and I was young and I was freaked out by Kathy. <laughs> she looked different. Um, her story was that she used to have a family and she got diabetes really bad. So bad that she lost her memory, lost her family, lost her husband, ended up homeless on the streets in California. Um, finally, someone found her and knew who she was and brought her back to Nebraska where she had a little bit of family. And so she had just come back to, to Bridgeport, this area here, and like she was just different. Different than what I was used to. She looked different, she sounded different. She had kind of this episode so bad that not only did she lose her memory, she lost her cognitive ability. She couldn't read, she couldn't write. And even when she spoke, she sounded like a toddler when she spoke. And my mom becomes really close friends with her. And I thought it was weird. And we would go out to eat lunches and, and dinners and stuff with her. And, and, and I was this young kid. And I was just a little scared of her anyways. Um, and she would always bring her dog with her. And she would take a bite of her hamburger and give a bite of her hamburger to her dog. And she would lick her ice cream and then give a lick of her ice cream to the dog. And take a drink and give some to her dog. And I was just like, as a kid, I thought, man, mom, what, what are you doing? This is crazy. 
I've never seen anything like this and it's making me uncomfortable. I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm sure Chris has probably told the story about it, but uh, there was a Sunday night service, I think, and uh, Pastor Mel was, was the pastor. When we were sitting there praying for um, someone across the state who had diabetes, and as they're praying for someone across the state who had diabetes, all of a sudden, in a moment, Kathy, this, 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 this woman, like, falls over, and there was a wooden podium, and she falls onto the podium and, like, breaks this thing in half. Like in the middle of this service, in the middle of us praying for someone, and I open my eyes and I look up, and there she is just kind of laying there next to this broken podium, and I'm like, uh, somebody better call 911. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but this is kind of crazy and a little bit weird, a little bit out there, and she still battled diabetes so, so, so bad, so severely in her life. <clears throat> but in this one moment, she encountered God, and it changed everything. Um, I, we were concerned that like maybe it was a medical thing, but uh, my mom talked to her and, and was able to, to talk to her from that, and she went to the doctor shortly after that. And in like probably the, the closest case I've been to a documented miracle, they said, wow, Kathy, you have absolutely no diabetes left whatsoever. And you, you are just completely healed. And it's funny because I'll, I'll never forget how when she shared her story of what God did for her, how God healed her. She shared the story about how um, the reason, ah, sorry. The reason she shares with her dog everything was because when she was homeless and on the streets, people wouldn't feed her but they'd feed her dog and she said Sadie the name of her dog Sadie shared everything with me back then so that's why I share everything with her now And I'll always forget, remember it. <clears throat> because I remember how small it made me feel. When I looked at this person, <clears throat> judged this person, didn't want to have anything to do with this person. Yet I was looking and seeing nothing but problems. And I missed out on fact that God wanted to do something amazing in her life. <laughs> so as we close today, I just want to challenge you. And are you looking and are you seeing problems? Or are you seeing people? God wants to use us to rise up and go reach Nineveh. The people who don't look like us, don't act like us, 
or a little bit weird, a little bit out there, maybe that we would never hang out with. You know what? Maybe reaching them starts with praying for them. But God wants to use you to reach somebody. He wants to you to make a difference. So your challenge, your hard thing challenge is this week, would you reach out to two people that are different than you? Just reach out to them. Maybe take a bunch of invite cards for our Easter play place and bring them to your work and just invite everybody you know to Easter. And Hey, if you got kids, come bring them. They're going to have a blast. Uh, but, but maybe uh, reaching out to them is, is finding someone who looks at the world differently than you and having a conversation with them. Pastor Stephen Furtick says, we're, we're a world that's great at commenting but horrible at conversating. Maybe it's inviting them to church with you. I know one of the things that, that I try to do, and again, as Christians, this is one of the things we always have to battle, is this innate desire to turn inwards. And I have to force myself to constantly say, God, help me to look at others. God, help me to reach others. 2 Timothy 2.10 is like my, my life's verse that I, I want to just grab onto, and it says, I will endure anything to see salvation come to those Christ has chosen. I say, God, I want that to be me. But yet even moments like this past week during this fast where, where, <clears throat> where God is kind of moving and revealing things in our hearts and lives. There was a moment where I just had to come to God and say, God, man, I don't even know when the last time my heart broke for people that are far from you. And God, I'm sorry. God, when's the last time I, I've wept over people that are living in spiritual darkness in this city. It's the last time I, I've attempted to reach out to, to my in-laws that are so obviously far from you. But it's a hard thing. But that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to rise up and go to them a hard thing, but, but we want significance to come easy. We want greatness without sacrifice. We want to be rich without learning how to save. We want the success without the struggle, just like we want the abs without the gym. We want to see people come to Christ, but we don't want to do anything about it. So today, your hard thing challenge, would you rise and go to hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.